Hello everyone, I'm Tori. And I'm Kariana. And welcome to God in All Things. Today we are discussing a ballad, the ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins, which is the Hunger Games prequel. The film just came out, so I know a lot of people are particularly aware of it right now. And we just happen to have it work out where we're able to do our episode on it right now, which is great. So we did see the film together just was it literally last night? No, no it, was it was two, two nights, nights ago. ago. <laughs> this week, man. But we did just see it two nights ago, and then we've both been able to read it. So we'll just get into the summary of it if you're not super familiar with what it's going to be about, especially in connection with the original Hunger Games trilogy, and then we'll go into some personal experiences. Yeah, so like Tori said, it's a prequel. So we have Cor- Coriolanus Snow, the wicked president of Panem during the story of the Hunger Games trilogy. Uh, He starts this book as an 18-year-old boy in the capital. The infamous war between the district rebels and the capital has been over for 10 years, and so this year we have the 10th anniversary of the annual Hunger Games. Viewership of the games, though, has been declining, so the government is seeking ways to increase interest in order to maintain control. So as Coriolanus gets sucked into capital and rebel plots alike, he has many different paths presented to him, which one he will choose leads him to become the President Snow we all know and love to hate. Great. That is great. He is such a terrifying bad guy, and we love that about him, I would say. Um, So personal experiences, I did read this back when it came out first, which I believe was in 2020. And I did at the time enjoy it. I just think, uh, especially the ending, I feel like I just didn't grasp onto very well. It's pretty fast. And so that kind of hindered my overall enjoyment of it. And it was a lot more psychological than I think I was remembering or expecting as in like remembering the original trilogy being and so I just wasn't I think mentally prepared for it. I also think it's just one that benefits from a reread so this was a reread for me and it definitely made me appreciate it a lot more especially reading it after having just read the original trilogy and so I'm really glad we were able to do this and I personally after seeing the film I really enjoyed the film. I mean no adaptation is going to have it exactly the way you want it. But honestly, compared to most others, I feel like it captured the feeling of the book pretty well. The characters felt like who I would expect them to feel like. Their characterizations were really good. The acting was amazing. The music was amazing. The settings were all amazing. Apparently, it was mostly practical. There was very little green screen. Yes. So that was extra fun. Yes. So yeah, I would say overall, I really enjoy it. I don't know. I don't think I would necessarily put it as my favorite necessarily of the series or anything, but I actually think it would be not at the bottom either. So yeah, I haven't really thought deeply about my ranking of the books, but I don't think it would be at the bottom. bottom. I think I enjoyed it more than that. So okay. This was not a reread for me. This is my first time reading it. And uh, I think I've been going back and forth. Every time somebody asks me what I think, I keep saying that I have mixed feelings. And I think what I finally decided is that I just didn't enjoy it as much as I wanted to. And for some reason, I'm having a really hard time admitting that. I think that's what it really comes down (laughs) to. I think I really, really expected to love it and really wanted to love it and then just kind of didn't love it. And so I'm like, oh, so I keep like trying to come up with justifications and reasons and like, 
And I think it really just comes down to I just didn't enjoy it that much. Maybe like the stuff that you're talking about. I think I feel the way you describe yourself on your first read. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> it very well could be that if I read it again, I would enjoy it more. But yeah, I really enjoyed reading the first part of it, probably like the first two thirds, mm-hmm. like the more than half of it, I really, really enjoyed. But then I told Tori, like from the peacekeeping section on, it just kind of like loses me. And I'm like, uh. and then looking back over the whole thing, it's kind of this overall, like, I mean, okay, I don't, yeah. I don't really know. The more deeply I try to think about the character and what happens and, and make it all work together like the less I actually <laughs> appreciate it. So, so I don't know. And then, yeah, like Tori said, the movie was, as far as adaptations go, really, really good. I'm notorious for hating adaptations in general <laughs> because I just want them to be perfect. But yeah, it's, it's, it captures the story really well. I think it's definitely missing things as far as Coriolanus's characterization goes. But overall, it's a it's a pretty good adaptation. But yeah, kind of the same feeling. Like I just feel like yeah, overall it was like it was it was fine. Not not my favorite. I think if I were to rank this with the three Hunger Games books, it definitely would be on the bottom. Mm, yeah, because all of those ones, I was just like, ah, oh, this is so good. <laughs> and this, yeah. I'm kind of like, ah, oh, I just really want to think it's so good (laughs) i just think it really is so much more psychological and we're dealing with someone who you're not supposed to like or agree with necessarily like he's the villain of the original trilogy so i i just on the idea of like where it gets psychological and hunger games first of all i think this one's more complex because of just the nature of dealing with President Snow. It's dealing with more complex themes. And I almost would think that it's maybe for an older audience than the original trilogy was. But I think the psychology in the original trilogy is about a person who you can understand better because you're more likely to like think more similarly to her right. than you are to Snow. And agree with her. Yeah. Yeah. The only way, like the only thing I have to say to that is that... I don't, I mean, I guess my main argument is that I love reading Darth Vader stories. Like, I know that I have experience reading villain stories Mm -hmm. and can enjoy them, you know? Yeah. That's kind of, I don't know. And maybe, I mean, I like Darth Vader in general more than Coriolanus Snow because Star Wars. Yes. (laughs) There's a lot more going into that. (laughs) And yeah, as far as my own personal enjoyment goes. But so I just, I don't know, like I get that idea, but Mm -hmm. I don't think that that necessarily has to take away from my enjoyment of it. I think that I just don't like it. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) I think, I don't know. Why I say that my appreciation goes down is I think the more I think about it, the more that like different facts don't add up to me. I feel like mm-hmm. I I feel like to have his character make sense, he would have to be presented a certain way, but he's being presented a different way so that it's not justifying the things that he's thinking and doing for me. And so then I have like these two pieces that don't like fit together to create a real character. Mm-hmm. That's kind of yeah. How, it, how it ended up feeling. That's for how you. it feels for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So the more I try to fit the pieces together, the more I'm like, 
no, these pieces don't actually fit. And so then he just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So that's, I don't, I'm not going to say he's a terribly written character. Mm -hmm. Like if you like his character, if you like the way he's characterized, like that's cool. And I get it because Mm -hmm. he is interesting. It's just for me. I'm like, just doesn't quite connect for you for some reason. (laughs) Ain't that just humanity though? (laughs) We kind of don't make sense. How many contradictions are in one person? Uh, A lot. You got me there. You anyway, got me there. But okay. I mean, like I said, I felt similarly the first time I read it. Right. So I we'll don't see. know. I'll go back in three years. Yeah. You'll have see to how you feel. Me because yes. I won't do that on my own. Try but. it again. Listen to the audio. We can this do another, we can do another podcast episode on yes. it. <laughs> yeah. Before we get into more actively going into the plot, though, let's talk a little bit about our gospel principle. We're going to be discussing expecting miracles, which may seem like a strange principle, but it does apply very well, actually, as we thought about yes. it. Yeah, the so, inspiration. I just oh, yes. Say, uh-huh. like, Kariana's ins- Kariana originally came up <laughs> with the idea, and this was her inspiration. I don't come up with very many of them, so it's exciting. <laughs> Um, yeah, so again, like Tori had read this book and I hadn't. So I read the first page and I think, oh, wait, I'm going to text Tori and see if she has an idea of what we're going to talk about. And then I read the first page while I'm waiting for her. And it says he has this like messed up shirt and he's waiting for it to get fixed. And he said only his cousin's cleverness with a needle had saved him so far. Still, he couldn't expect miracles. And I was like, hold up. <laughs> but you can. We're supposed miracles. to expect miracles. <laughs> And I texted Tori, I don't know one thing about this book, but the first page says that he does not expect miracles. So that could be an interesting direction to go <laughs> looking for miracles throughout the book. Anyway, so so that's the specific relevancy. <laughs> yes. And I, I'm like, I thought that sounded so much more interesting. I mean, the very obvious one is like dealing with natural man, natural goodness versus evil and all of us and all of that jazz and I was like thinking we'd go down some sort of line with that. But this this one is still sort of connected to that, but it's a little more niche and a unique perspective to take on that same conversation, I think. So introducing that principle in the general conference session, I think it was Sunday afternoon, right, of April 2022, President Russell M. Nelson admonished us to seek God's hand in our lives. He stated, few things will accelerate your spiritual momentum more than realizing the Lord is helping you to move a mountain in your life. Many societies of the world today have forgotten what it is to trust God and recognize that he is that he can be actively involved in our individual lives, as well as in the development of our culture and society. When we trust in him, things become clearer and what needs to happen will do so. All he asks of us is to use our agency to face the right direction towards him. It is Sunday morning. It is Sunday morning. Yes. There you just go. Just in case you're looking yes, for it. Yes, <laughs> in case you're looking it up. There it is. And that, I think, will just take us right in. So cool. let's kick this off. We have set it up in a lin- as linear as we could get based on our memories of the story. There's a lot that goes on in this book, which we discussed before turning on the camera. So forgive us if we forget some plot point you really like or something. We're doing our best, but there's a lot to work with here. And we want to make it as cohesive as possible for those who maybe haven't read it or seen it yet and just don't care and are just 
listening or watching this anyway. So to start off with, we'll start actually before the book really starts with the growing up of Coriolanus Snow. So Coriolanus grows up primarily, especially up through the age of what, eight is how old he is when the war ends. So his first eight years of life are spent during the war that's terrorized the capital capital and the districts. Do we know how long um, the war actually lasted? Was it his whole... No, I think they were young when it started, right? Yeah, I think so. I I want to say it was only a few years because I believe that he met, did know his dad at some point, but didn't really remember him that well. So maybe they were five-ish when it actually started? Yeah, around there. I don't... Yeah, I'm not sure how long it lasted or anything, but it was a few years for sure. Yeah, and he talks about like having a velvet suit and parading around in it before the war started. Yes, that's right. Yeah, he has memories Mm -hmm. of having plenty. So a lot of his memories are during the war as far as his very young memories. So he grew up mostly with his cousin Tigress and his grandma, who they called Grandmam. And his father, I think his mom died in childbirth, was what was said. And then his dad ended up dying in the war. And so it really was just the three of them for a long time. We don't, I don't know if we get much hint as to what happened to Tigress's parents. I don't know. So we don't really know, but she's with him and helps take care of him a lot. And while they're young, one of the experiences during the war that's burned into his memory is seeing his neighbor cut off the leg of a maid that used to work in this town. And she ends up dying of starvation. And he, this man goes out and cuts off her leg to eat it, basically. And so this comes up regularly throughout the story as an example to him of what humanity is capable of when they're driven to the worst case scenarios of their lives stuff. So that kind of gives you background on what Coriolanus has experienced. And since then, because it's just the Grandmam and Tigris and Coriolanus, they really have struggled financially because they've just had what they had before. They've had to sell it. They've had to reuse it. And they don't really have much income, just a little bit that Tigris is able to make, basically. And Coriolanus is going to school to help build up their family name and keep up appearances that way. That actually links to uh, to what I would call the first miracle. Uh, yes, that, that's uh, go ahead and in, um, <laughs> in Coriolanus's life. It's really interesting to me. I didn't catch on to like why he always goes back to that leg like throughout the whole book, right? Yes, uh-huh. <laughs> why it's so important to him. Um, but yeah, even he's like friends with the, well, one of his classmates is the daughter of the man mm-hmm. who he saw. And every time he looks at her, he like sees the leg. And I'm like, he's obsessed with this. <laughs> like, yes, what the heck? Like, what in the world? But, yeah. but yeah, so it's really interesting that that like connects back to him, this like early memory of what humanity does. But anyway, so he says when he's kind of narrating that experience for us that like he was physically and morally saved like he considers himself morally saved from this by his grandmam um who had the foresight to at the very beginning of the war she bought like 29 cases of dried lima beans right yeah (laughs) and he was Mm -hmm. like why in the world (laughs) little Coriolanus they still have like meat they still have access to food it's the beginning of the war he's like why is she buying all of these lima beans but then they're able to rely on that throughout the entire course of the war they eat them they trade them for other things and so throughout the whole war even though it's difficult 
Um, and even though they have to ration it out more and more carefully, they have access to, to food and don't have to resort to any kind of immoral acts during the war to feed themselves. Yeah, that is such a miracle. And so it's interesting that he hangs on to, I mean, he does remember that and it stands out to him enough, but like what he keeps coming back to is the leg the instead leg. of instead the of lima, the lima beans. beans. Instead like, of his grandma for some reason deciding yes. to buy all uh-huh. of those lima beans. Yeah. And then yeah. going forward, I know that on your miracle list, you also included the shirt. So we start off this book actually with Coriolanus. He's waiting for Tigris to bring him this shirt. So he is going in. At this point, he knows he's going to be a mentor, right? And so they've decided to have, it's the 10th Hunger Games. And in order to award a certain scholarship, they've decided to have this thing where the students of the Academy are the best students, the 24 best students of the Academy are being asked to be mentors for the tributes from each district. It's um, so the first time they're incorporating mentors into yes. the games. So they're doing this to hopefully encourage a little bit more of a spectatorship for the Hunger Games, increase the desire of people to sit and watch it. And so he is going to be one of these mentors, but because they're so poor, they really don't have means to provide him with clothes that would be sufficient for what they're going into. And so he's waiting for Tigris, who was going to find a way to deal with it, to come back. And when she does, she has been able to do miracles with it. Like she's been able to figure out ways using her where she works, as well as just other gifts that she's been given to provide him with this shirt so that he can put on this good face and really encourage other people to notice him so that he can win this prize money that will allow him to go to university and continue on down that academic path and hopefully bring their family name back into the spotlight. And I would say throughout this book, Tigress really is a big miracle in his life that she's even around and is the person she is, despite the fact that he's turning into one thing and she's not. But they both have very similar life experiences. And so it's interesting to see that he has this miracle in this person who just is strong, spiritually strong and everything. And he doesn't appreciate that as much as he should. Like he does, but there comes a point where it doesn't matter as much to him anymore. I guess the one thing that I would add to that is that it's one of those, it's an easy mistake to make. And we all do it sometimes where we mistake our own or someone else's abilities as not a miracle Mm. because it comes from us, right? (laughs) So Tigris has these gifts with fabric and she works um, this job where she has access to cleaning. You know, she works in the fabric or the fashion industry. And so she has access to clothes and cleaning supplies for them. And so it's one of those things where she has all of this access and these gifts. So he's really grateful. Like he's grateful for the shirt and he's grateful for what she does with it. But he's, it's just like Tigress and her ability. For him, it's very, everything is focused on what he makes happen and what Tigress makes happen. It's what they can make happen. And he doesn't see this like bigger picture of like being blessed you know yeah. and I would say that that's something that that I mean that again that we all do on certain occasions and that yeah. I think is why President Nelson gave us the reminder to seek and expect miracles because he wants us to work harder to recognize those gifts those accesses you know the little things that we have as God's hand in our lives yeah 
because really everything in our life it's part of a big plan Mm. like i think we forget that sometimes blessings aren't just like a i mean they're never a spur of the moment thing like god already always knows but it sometimes we think of it as in this particular instance this magical thing happened instead of recognizing like before i even came here god had a plan for my life Mm -hmm. and knew who i needed to touch and who needed to touch me and put those people in my life before i even arrived here and that's very miraculous okay so (laughs) continuing forward with the plot we have a brief tangent a little bit to just introduce Sejanus because I wasn't sure how best to introduce him so he arrives Coriolanus arrives at the school and is one of the mentors and one of the other mentors is someone who considers Coriolanus a friend but Coriolanus does not consider him a friend he really looks down on him but it's this man named Sejanus and he is in the academy as well but he originally came from the districts he's originally from district two and his dad just happened to make a lot of money and that's enabled them to move to the capital. And that change in situation has really improved their lot financially and socially, but Sejanus's heart is still with District 2 and he really feels like he's part of the district still, obviously. And so he has a lot of sympathy for the districts and it really gets on everybody else's nerves. So (laughs) yes, that comes into play a lot in this book. So we want to make sure that's there. So he's, they're both mentors. Um, So Janus's friendship or friendliness towards him is the predecessor of several miracles (laughs) in Coriolanus's life. So yeah, we'll definitely come back to that and talk a lot about him and and the way that he affects Coriolanus, even though Coriolanus kind of like rejects him. Yes, uh (laughs) he rejects those miracles. He rejects the miracle of Sejanus even being in his life in the first place. If we're going off what we were just talking about with Tigris. Yeah, the fact that he has somebody sweet and kind and genuine. He has someone who gives him a chance to choose a certain direction and he doesn't take that chance moving forward with the mentorships we have we meet also dean highbottom who is the dean of is it of the academy or of the university I never even thought about that. I assumed the academy, but it could be Me the university. Me too. I think it might be the university. That would probably make more like, sense, Like, I don't actually. think that he's necessarily over the younger ones. I think he's over the older ones, yeah, ideally. so that's why he gets to choose who the university prize goes to. Yes, okay. exactly. That's okay. what I believe. Sorry if we're wrong, but <laughs> that's what we're going based on. Anyway, he really doesn't like Coriolanus. Like, Coriolanus says that, at least in the movie, I don't remember if it's in the book but he says to Tigris that Dean Highbottom hates everyone but he despises me and he doesn't really understand why which as the book goes on we eventually understand why he says in the book that he gave him a mean nickname and that has to be the reason yes because <laughs> Dean Highbottom has a has a morphling addiction and yes. so he calls him Dean High as a Kite Bottom yes. <laughs> so he keeps going back to it in the book he's like it has to be the nickname yes. <laughs> he's like what else did I do it has to be the nickname there's no other reason (laughs) he's like how did it get back to him could he even care that much all the professors have nicknames (laughs) right yeah just panic over it over the nickname so (laughs) dean highbottom really kind of has it out for coriolanus and so he ends up distributing the tributes to each of the mentors and coriolanus gets the girl from district 12 which is like a huge spit in the face moment it's a girl first of all which girls are less likely to win and then the outlying districts are also, especially District 12, is seen as like the worst, most 
unlikely to win district of them all. I don't know if it necessarily says that all of the districts have, I guess it's the 10, so not everybody would have had a winner yet. But I'm assuming district 12, they tend to die faster. I think that's what they say is they always die within the first few minutes. Mm -hmm. And I, again, I don't remember if it's in the book, but in the movie, the line stood out to me when Dean Highbottom goes and last and least. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to the district twelve girl tribute, yeah. So he gets assigned the worst of the worst, but yes. it ends up being a major blessing for yes. him. She mm-hmm. makes this amazing, amazing show. Like we've kind of talked about, like the idea of this Hunger Games is that they want to create more of a spectacle, right? And like get, really draw people in. And at the reaping, Lucy Lucy Graham, first of all, shoves a snake down a girl's dress, yes. <laughs> gets punched in the face by the mayor, and then performs a song yes. <laughs> in front of everybody. And she's wearing this bright rainbow dress. And so she he immediately has the most memorable and likable tribute. So as far as creating a spectacle and actually fulfilling what he's been assigned to do, he's already won. Yeah, it's off to a great start for sure. And so, yeah, like she said, Lucy Gray has this incredible moment during the reaping, which we later find out is because like the reason why she got called in the first place was because the mayor's daughter was the girl who she shoved a snake down her dress and this girl was upset be- over this boy basically that was dating boy Lucy Gray yes and she <laughs> wanted him and he kind of wanted her and there was just this big drama and she probably lied to her dad about something and so the mayor purposely just said Lucy Gray's name to get her in there which is just awful i can't even imagine a grown adult man dealing with a situation like that by putting someone in a hunger games a child in the hunger games i don't that's a whole other conversation (laughs) but let's just say that's disgusting (laughs) but yeah we were talking about i like how this connects to how we were talking about like god kind of lining things up Mm -hmm. because you have the fact you have this whole romance between lucy gray and billy tope and may what did we fields mayfield <laughs> you know all of that leading up to the mayor deciding to sentence lucy gray to the hunger games and then we have dean highbottom having it out for coriolanus which is the reason he assigns him to the district 12 girl like you have it's actually like these people trying to cause problems that like put them in the situation so that the two of them can end up together and they end up working really, really well together. Yeah. Because Lucy true. Gray ending up with another mentor wouldn't necessarily have won. Like the way things were sorry, spoiler. Yes. <laughs> um, the way things work out, like they needed each other to be successful. And it's these other people trying to do bad things, putting them into that place for them to meet each other, which is kind of awesome yeah it is really awesome (laughs) i hadn't actually thought about that like the way that both of them ended up there yeah and i feel like i want to say this now and i'm sure i'm going to come back to it throughout this book because obviously this book is about a man who becomes a villain and so being like these miracles that are in his path and like then he becomes evil like it's not that it's the idea that god is putting these things in his path to allow him an opportunity to do really good things his agency is what gets in the way of him actually accomplishing that and part of his agency is not 
not recognizing the miracles behind some of these things, is not appreciating that God, even though God can't make everything perfect and better, that's not the point of this life. He can make things in a way that can make the biggest impact if we let him and if we recognize those things, show the gratitude, and then try our best with the values and morals we know to keep moving towards God and towards Jesus Christ. And so throughout this book, he ends up turning away from that. And that's why these miracles don't end up being as incredible of miracles as they could have been if he had tried to look in the right direction and face the right direction. Because I think a lot of this is leading him to a path of power, but it's in a position where he would be able to change things for really good purposes and make a really good impact. Like he tells Sejanus in a passing way, he's being put in a position where he could make really positive changes or at least inspire someone else to do so. And he misses that because he's too focused on himself and also his fears of the world and of humanity, which ultimately overcome his desire to be a moral person. Yeah, that is really interesting because it feels like probably if Coriolanus had gone, if he had chosen any direction, if he decided to use his agency to do the right thing and make more positive choices, like probably he would have disappeared into obscurity. Like it's his choices, it's his negative choices that do ultimately lead him to power. And I don't think we can pretend otherwise, you know, Mm -hmm. but it is interesting that if he hadn't been around the Hunger Games probably would have died out and the world would have been a much better place. And like generations of children Mm -hmm. would have been and families would have been saved the trauma um, that happened because of his power and his rule. So it's kind of interesting to think that like the best thing he could have done would have been to just kind of go live his own happy life in obscurity and been happy himself and left the rest of the world to be happy without Mm -hmm. him. (laughs) Yeah. And I think some of these, as far as like, especially at this part of the book, the miracles, I mean, maybe it wouldn't lead him to power, but it's leading him to people who can change his heart and help him make those decisions to lead him in a better place. Yes. Whatever that would have ended up ended up being, who knows? But yeah, I could have gone different directions. Yeah, at different there's points all in the sorts book. of good <laughs> things he could have ended up doing, just yeah. depending on how things worked out. But the point is, he doesn't take those miracles the way they're supposed to be taken, and didn't use them to further God's work in any way. So next, we'll move into the zoo scene. <laughs> so. Basically, Coriolanus decides to go to this train station to meet Lucy Gray in person. Yes. Which is another. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I like the little miracles. I like the little things that are like easy to look Mm -hmm. past because that's what's so easy to look past. Um, So it says specifically that nobody tells them when the tributes are arriving. Um, And nobody necessarily says that he should go meet the tribute train. He just decides that being there right when Lucy Gray gets there is his best option. And he just so happens to have a neighbor who graduated university last year and is now working as a game maker who told him that the tribute train is supposed to be arriving on Wednesday. (laughs) and that's all he has so he goes at the very beginning of the day on Wednesday to wait for the train and so I just loved the idea that like if he hadn't just so happened to have this random connection of somebody who knew what was going on then he wouldn't have been able to go meet the train and that's a has a huge impact on his relationship with Lucy Gray yes and going back to Tigress (laughs) being a huge miracle in his life she's the one who basically gives him the idea because she says look 
imagine you were her. She's like, I wouldn't trust you. Yeah. She's like, I would want to know that somebody cared about me. And so this is how he decides to interpret that as an idea to move forward and gain Lucy Gray's trust and see what he can do for her. So he ends up at the train station when the train arrives and he realizes that it's like a cargo train. Like they're not being treated very well at all. They're definitely being treated like animals. In fact, I think it's actually a livestock train. Like it's for livestock. Yeah, all this stuff. stuff. So that's where they're all being kept. They get taken off and he goes and meets Lucy Gray and then he introduces himself to her and then they're moving them over to this other car truck car kind of thing where they load him up and he ends up sneaking onto this truck and at first they're about to try these tributes are offering to try to kill him because he's capital and he's just amongst them and that's what they're expected to do there is kill each other so they're like well we'll do it very angry obviously and Lucy Gray ends up stopping them, probably having developed a little bit of respect for him for getting on the truck in the first place. And they decide not to kill him. But then a few minutes later, they end up having the truck kind of like turn them out. And it causes them to fall into the monkey cage is where they're keeping the tributes, which again, disgusting, (laughs) like so awful. They're just treated like animals. And Coriolanus is kind of panicking at this point. He's like, oh, I did not mean to end up in here. This is not what I was expecting. Just, yeah, super embarrassed. And he's like, am I going to cause issues that for me, basically in the future, am I going to get in trouble? And Lucy Gray just tells him to own it. And so- Which is awesome. Yes, because uh-huh. he goes back to that advice. There are like five different moments in the book when he's like, I thought back to Lucy Gray saying, own it. <laughs> and it like helps him throughout the whole book. It's so great. They do. They own it. And she goes up to the bars. There's a bunch of kids out there and she's like talking to them and talking to the reporters. They're all just loving her and loving him. He's introducing yeah. her personally. They just work. And... They just work so well yes, together. They just have this instant connection and they just embrace it. They mm-hmm. own it and they just work so well together yes they both know how to perform and make a spectacle and they aren't afraid to which is pretty impressive i feel like most other people would even if they were trying to make it work it would be just so easy to be nervous or yeah yep but they're both just used they're both kind of used to putting on a front yes Uh it's like something that they maybe have a natural talent for but have worked on their entire lives and developed a skill for Mm -hmm. and the fact yeah that going back to miracles that Coriolanus found someone who does work so well with him in that scenario is amazing I think anytime you meet someone especially in certain contexts where you like are on a team like in callings and stuff where you're working with someone who ends up working just perfectly for you maybe you have different strengths and weaknesses and some of the same and it causes you both to accomplish so much more because of those pieces fitting together and god just understands us so well to be able to allow those things to happen in those places that is actually such a great comment because we have this moment where he's paralyzed with fear because of his embarrassment of the public he like he puts on this good front for everybody and this is super embarrassing and she doesn't care about that at all like she's not worried about what people think of her so she's like dude own it and it helps him right but she's terrified of where she is like she's scared of the capital she's out of her element she doesn't know how society works here and he does so he's able to kind of swoop in and tell her you need to do this and you'll get people like this and the, and he in- 
introduces her and makes his introductions, right? And he like, he uses that strength to introduce her to society. So I love that you brought up strengths and weaknesses because they do like really fill in for each other where they struggle in the situation. So moving forward, we see, so he does get pulled aside and he gets a little bit in trouble for it. But Dr. Gall, who is one of the head, she is the head head game game maker maker, and has always been, she's really the head space for the games as far as like she's the one who really implemented them even though Dean Highbottom is given credit for creating it because he came up with the idea Dr. Gall's the one who really implemented it it and did all of that so she has crazy power in the capital she's like high up in the military she's a research scientist and works on genetic mutations and like she has she has all of these amazing merits and is super impressive and has a lot of power yes she does and she really loves what Coriolanus does like she's like yeah you weren't supposed to (laughs) yeah she's awful she's the scariest person in this book for sure she's terrifying but she is really impressed by Coriolanus and so she ends up saying having this conversation with him and the rest of their class about some ideas of how to make the games more exciting and Coriolanus comes up with a few ideas that Dr. Gall does enjoy and so he she tells him to bring her a paper it's him and two other girls that are assigned to write up this paper this idea about what they can do to make the Hunger Games more interesting including some of the ideas they already brought forward just expanding on them so they have this assignments but first they have all of the mentors go to the zoo to talk to and try to feed maybe the tributes and see what they can get if they can gain that trust like Coriolanus has and do some of that. So one of the girls who's actually assigned to do the paper with Coriolanus is, her name's Arachne, and she's a little bit of a difficult one, to say the least. She's not Coriolanus' favorite person. And she's not the reader's favorite person, probably either. She's pretty obnoxious, especially at this point. So she has brought a sandwich for her tribute, and she keeps like faking her out with it like pushing it forward through the bars and then taking it back without letting the tribute grab it and she's trying to get the tribute to like do something again treating her like an animal and she's starving they haven't been fed anything that's the other thing and the reason why the mentors are bringing food is because the tributes are not being fed at all they haven't been fed since they were taken away from their districts another one of those things this is the first year that they haven't just taken the tributes straight to the arena so i think it's yes. just kind of an mm-hmm. overlooked <laughs> they like didn't really plan for feeding them because yes. they've like never done this before <laughs> they're like usually we just yeah stick them right in and they fight and it's over yeah. we don't need to feed them they're dead or they live and they go back to their district and, and eat there home. yeah <laughs> yeah i think it's probably an oversight and in part because they think of them as animals yeah, and so yeah. they don't care about them not to begin with. Them. Obviously, yeah. they're putting them in the Hunger Games. So, yep. anyway, Arachne is doing this to her tribute and the tribute ends up getting really angry, understandably, and sneaks a knife that I think Arachne had on yeah, her. Yeah, Arachne was like cutting food with it. So right. it was just there. Uh, it was just there. And so the tribute gets the knife and slits Arachne's throat through the bars. <laughs> it's real dramatic. In the movie, she is giving her a bottle of yeah. some sort of drink and she takes the bottle and breaks it and uses that. Yeah. But either 
way. And I fed yeah. her personally, but whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like either way made sense. And I feel like I mean, that accomplishes way. the same thing. Yeah, exactly. It accomplishes the exact same thing. And I think it makes the way you're able to grip the bottle through the bars made more sense than to, like, get a little knife mm. off. Like, I think that would be a harder would thing be hard to, to show like, in a movie, especially. Put your arm like through and get a Yeah, exactly. I, I think it would, be, it was probably smoother and also showed the desperation because she's like slamming the glass and right. like it's a little more dramatic that way, too. Um, not that you necessarily needed more drama for that scene, but anyway, so she actually does end up dying. Yeah. And, and it is kind of, it's an interesting moment because the capital really does feel like they feel a little bit untouchable. Like these, Yes. it's the first mm-hmm. you're like you don't you're not expecting a capital kid to die you yeah. know mm-hmm. they're <laughs> like the we won games, the war the tributes but, die yeah. mm-hmm. and then to have just all of this i think it gets a lot more real for everybody when this capital student gets killed and everybody's like wait <laughs> being a mentor Whoa. wasn't supposed to be dangerous <laughs> yes uh-huh and just not yeah it and it turns the tributes back into questionable animals again which mm. just backtracks a lot of what Coriolanus and Dr. Gall are trying to do a little right. bit after this we have Clemmy who is the other girl who was assigned to the paper with Coriolanus and Arachne she's really distraught and so she's like do you think they'll really expect us to write the paper Coriolanus is like I don't know maybe I don't know but she just goes home to get some rest she's really obviously impacted by this death of her friend and so she just can't handle it and goes home well Coriolanus being Coriolanus is like no I'm not missing this opportunity so he (laughs) writes the paper (laughs) yes he's like I need the grade I need the recognition so he writes the paper and turns it into Dr. Gall the next morning which leads us into our next really dramatic scene (laughs) where Dr. Gall ends up calling them to her office and Clemmy is like what you actually turned it in can you give me some bullet points so I at least know what I'm talking about and stuff and so they get in there and Dr. Gall shows them this experiment she's working on which has to do with these snakes there's a bunch of these rainbow snakes that she's genetically modified and I can't remember if it like tells you exactly everything involved beyond just like they're rainbow and shimmery and then they are sensitive to the smells and stuff that they're familiar with versus not and I'm assuming part of it is just their venom because Clemmy has weird things happen to her yeah when yeah, she's I don't think we have a lot of specifics yeah I don't think we have a lot beyond, of specifics yeah. but they're genetically modified they're really creepy and scary that's all we really need to know. And this is one scene I will say I was not happy with the changes in the movie. Yeah. The movie changed it in a way that like maybe doesn't change the whole plot. I was but say, I, I feel it... like it takes it takes away from the scene for me. I, I did not appreciate the movie. So Yeah, um, I feel like it was unnecessary changes. Yeah. I think that's what bothered me about it was I was like you could literally have just had the, the dialogue pretty much the same as the book and it wouldn't have changed amount of time or anything. It would have just yeah. been more accurate. So it was a little weird. I agree with that one. I mean, it doesn't bother me that much because, yeah, it didn't impact the story really at all. But I would prefer that have gone a different way for sure. I do feel, I would argue that it makes, because 
We can go. We can talk. Okay. Sounds good. We'll get through the scene and then we can, no, we can discuss any details and stuff. I promise I won't spend too much time talking about <laughs> adaptation differences, but this one really does bother yes, me. Yes, we can discuss it. So basically what happens is Dr. Gall puts the paper in with the snakes and she tells them that the snakes won't bite you or attack you if they recognize your scent and if they're just familiar with your essence or whatever your scent, which would be on the paper if you've touched it and worked with it. And so Coriolanus obviously is safe, but Clemmy is not. However, Dr. Gall asks Clemmy to get it out and she reaches down to get it out and the snakes, of course, bite her because she hasn't ever touched this paper before. And she ends up falling into this state, obviously, from the venom and is taken away and Coriolanus is all panicked because he's like, is she dead? Like, what, what <laughs> the heck just, just happened? <laughs> and Dr. Gall's like, look, if she dies, then we'll just say it was the flu. Basically, she got sick and died. And if she doesn't, then great. We'll just work with it, too. Like, she just really does not care. She's... She tells Coriolanus that what she really doesn't like is liars. And so that's why she felt the need to do that because she didn't believe in liars. And she warns Coriolanus because he kind of didn't tell the truth in the situation either. She says, don't ever lie to me. Get away from the lying part because that's just not going to do you any good. Which is interesting when mm -hmm. he's with Katniss later and tells her we're going to agree not to lie to each other. And that was, yeah. that's one thing about him. he studies him, yeah. under Dr. Gall throughout his mm -hmm. time at university when he does finally go. So it is interesting to yeah. make that connection. Mm -hmm. yeah. He doesn't ever really lie, at least in the right context. Obviously, if he's going around poisoning people, then right. he's lying about it, but... And there are micro lies that you can catch throughout the books if you're, like, really yeah. trying, mm -hmm. but... <laughs> yeah. But for the most part, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so... Here's what bothers me is that what you just narrated is what happens in the movie, right? And right. it's different in the book because she doesn't, I don't like that in the movie, they have her tell them what the snakes do before they put their hands in. Right. Because That's I'm like, Clemmy's mm -hmm. really going to sit there and like put her hand, like, I don't, you're yes. going to look bad either way. Mm -hmm. You've been, you're proving yourself a liar either way. So yeah. you're really going to stick your hand in the snake pit instead of just saying I didn't write the paper. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's dumb. And so in the book, she just says, my assistant was so silly. <laughs> Put oh, your yeah. paper in the snake pit. And they're like, okay, you crazy lady. What the heck? And she asks Coriolanus to get it out. And so he reaches in and gets out one page and nothing happens to him. And then as Clemmy is putting her hand in, she like Dr. Gall is like giving more hints and they realize it like a second too late and Clemmy gets bitten. Okay, that's right. I couldn't remember that scene super well okay. beyond that. Like he doesn't in the movie, he almost tries to stop her from telling the lie. He's like, Clemmy. Right. Whereas in the book, he, he just with plays it. with it. So that was the part I remembered that I right. was like, no. But yeah, that's true too. Yeah. It's just one of those characterization things where, you know, like motive wise, I'm like, why is Clemmy? A, it makes it, I think it makes it less interesting when you know what's going to happen before it happens. So whereas yeah. in the book, mm -hmm. it's this like, what's going on? Like yeah. you can tell something is going what's on. Wrong? You're like, what is happening? But yeah, and then I'm like, why would Clemmy stick her hand yeah. in there right then? Mm -hmm. that, doesn't that doesn't make any make sense. sense. And I like having the drama of like Coriolanus doing it and then being fine and then being like, okay, what, you know? So yeah. so yeah, that was just one thing where I was like, this is just 
a weird thing to change. Yeah, I I agree. So we're going to jump over some smaller incidents of Coriolanus talking to Lucy Gray and some other interactions with students. They're developing a relationship. Exactly. They're developing characters in general. And we get to this point where the mentors are taking the tributes into the arena just to like see the layout and hopefully trying to strategize what to do once they get in there. At this point, there's not, it's not a huge arena like it is in the original trilogy. It's just this basically one room, like a sports arena. Like what you would imagine an arena as. And they really just fight to the death and it's usually over within an hour, probably, I'm sure. They don't have like food and stuff. Yeah, there's nowhere to hide. There's nothing. Like it's just just this bowl. (laughs) Yep, you just fight and then you're done. And so it's definitely not the big spectacle it becomes, which is kind of the point of this, right? So they're in there and they're kind of looking around and stuff. And then the rebels end up bombing this arena while they're in there. They somehow got the intel that they were going to be in there and were able to set up these bombs. And this, of course, ends up causing a huge chaos. And in the midst of it, for Coriolanus at least, he gets stuck. And Lucy Gray is there, but she's not stuck. And so she's in a position where she could run away. And there's other people trying to, other tributes trying to run away. But she sees that he's stuck and he she ends up turning around and helping him. Miracle. Yes. Huge <laughs> miracle because she had every right to run away. She's going to be put to death either way, I basically. Blame her. <laughs> yeah, honestly. And so she goes back and saves him and gets him out. Amidst all of this, some of the tributes and some of the mentors die. And we also see one tribute escape. So a lot of stuff comes from this. And this also changes Coriolanus's perspective on Lucy Gray because he begins to realize, oh, maybe she's not as evil as I thought she would be being Just district. She's district. Yes. Yeah. So he actually starts to want to try to save her. Yeah. Is And in fact, a big change in that is his next time seeing her after he's put in the hospital and taken out and everything, she tells him, if you want to help me, you need to start by believing I can actually win. And so that's when he really has this shift in mindset that is huge in him making a good choice with his agency, yeah. basically making a choice towards something positive. Because mm-hmm. up to this point... Their goal isn't to win. Like, the prize doesn't go to whoever wins, right? It's whoever can make a spectacle out of the Hunger Games. And so he's just kind of been focused on how do I get her to look really good to people, not how do I get her to win, because that doesn't matter for him. So, so yeah, this is a huge turning point in his relationship with her. Some of the tributes who get killed, I think, I'm pretty sure, yeah, both of the District 1 tributes get shot while trying to escape. The girl District 2 tribute gets shot as well, right? And then the boy District 2 tribute is the one who escapes. And um, District 1 and 2, even at this point, are kind of known to be the strongest tributes and, and generally the winners. And so that's actually like a huge for having kind of this like not super physically powerful girl in this hand-to-hand combat arena. That's a huge plus for them. Um, and probably part of the reason why he starts to think that they can win because all of these really strong tributes have been killed off. So yeah, kind of a, a sad miracle, but <laughs> yes. um, as far as like, you know, they're all going to die anyway, if you want to look at it like that. So as far as Coriolanus and Lucy are concerned, especially Lucy Gray, uh, this is a huge, huge miracle that makes it so that it improves her chances for survival immensely. And then one of the, we should mention too, that one of the captains 
capital kids is hospitalized because that comes up oh yes on. yes so one of them is severely hospitalized yes. i guess like coriolanus critical. was put in there and a couple right. others but yeah. he's like in critical, he's critical condition, condition. Yeah. yeah additionally i also want to mention that the tribute that ran away the boy from district two marcus actually was sejanus's tribute and that's like we said earlier sejanus is from district two he actually knew this boy in school and so, so is not okay yeah, he's not Sometime. okay he's not okay with this he's trying to gain <laughs> marcus's trust and trying to work things out with him but he won't listen for obvious reasons and he knows sejanus actually knows that his dad put him in that situation on purpose like knowing that it would teach him a lesson basically or ideally wanting it to teach him a lesson yeah it it backfires yes for sure sure. (laughs) very very much backfires so they get started it's hunger games day and there the arena actually has changed too Mm. so because of the bombing there's a lot more crevices and there's tunnels they're able to get into and they're able to get up into the stands and stuff like that so it does make the hunger games longer and gets a little closer to what it becomes later it probably inspired a lot of it's super interesting to see all the things snow witnesses that you're like oh my gosh he totally took that and implemented it (laughs) yes yes applied it coriolanus has talked to lucy gray and told her hey you need to get into the tunnels run run away (laughs) don't get into the middle with all the weapons just go it's kind of funny since it's the same thing hey mitch Tells Katniss and Peeta, District yeah. 12 girl yeah. tribute. <laughs> so the games begin, but the first thing we see, they see on the screen, so they have a separate place where the mentors are and they're watching on a screen and they have these screens in front of them that give them opportunities to send in stuff for their tributes such as water and food yeah, this and was stuff. one of Coriolanus's ideas was yes. to have the sponsors who can buy food and water to send into the game so that people can take a particular interest in one tribute yes um, so that they're more invested so so this is the first time they're trying that out too <laughs> mm-hmm. and the first thing that comes up for them is that they did catch marcus and they've just kind of strung him up basically not literally hanging he's just hanging there he has like i think it's probably like barbed wire and stuff through mm-hmm. him but he's still alive he's just pretty much almost dead like he's been mutilated a lot and so Sejanus gets very angry obviously about it and storms out of the room after throwing a chair yes, at the screen. after throwing a chair <laughs> yes very dramatic and it's interesting because dean highbottom actually like told coriolanus like your friend who's really emotional you might want to get him a seat by the door yeah. like he just knows that sejanus like, is not going to react well to well. this <laughs> yeah not at all yeah sejanus has been making a lot of public comments to dr gall yes and about how wrong the hunger games known. is yes. yes and then the sound of the cannon goes off and they're off. They're all running and killing each other. Lucy Gray does get the District 12 boy and they are acting as allies and so she takes him into the tunnels with her. And he's been struggling with some illness that he got, they think, in the zoo. In the books, at least. And yeah, the he gets a bit film, the it talks zoo. about in the, I think on the it's on the train. Yeah. There's a bat bite that he gets. But I think in the book, it's just in the zoo, they like think he got something. something. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, it Yes, that's actually an important distinction as well. Another one of those weird changes because it's meaningful to them that it was in the capital. Because in the capital, they're starting 
post-war to get this sense again that the capital is like pure and clean while the districts are dirty and savage and so when they say like no this happened in the capital everybody's like oh what yeah (laughs) like (laughs) are you sure there's sickness in the capital yeah yeah that's a good point yeah so then it kind of gets boring because they're not just immediately fighting each other it's like more exciting in the way of they can send in stuff with the sponsors and there's a little more going on but they didn't really prepare for it so there's not cameras in the tunnels in the film they do have cameras in the tunnels but in the book there's not and so the announcer lucky is really unsure how to host this he's the first one to do it and yeah there's not necessarily a ton going on all the time so they're just kind of hanging out for a while and then i think it's the second date that lamina comes out of the tunnels and i can't remember what district she's from i want to say district seven I don't remember. But I really can't remember. But she's one of the tributes and she goes out and ends up climbing up near Marcus and talking to him. And we don't really know what she says. But the next moment, she ends up taking an axe and killing him. And it's definitely a mercy killing of just recognizing that he's just in pain. And she's like, well, if I'm going to kill someone, it may as well be the person who most deserves it, which sounds so awful. But you know what I mean? In the most positive way. So she ends up killing him and it's this mercy killing. And then she just hangs out out there. I don't think, I think to begin with, she was seen as one of the weaker ones because I think she's a little more emotional, but she does do this and then just hangs out 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 there. Fast forward a little bit as well. There's kind of a lot of other little things going on again that we're going to kind of glide through a little bit, but we do have this point where Coriolanus is in the evening and he gets brought to speak with Dr. Gall and it's because they have found that Sejanus has gone into the arena. They've dimmed the lights on the cameras and stuff down so people can't really tell who it is but he's out and he is doing this sort of ritual with Marcus's body to kind of like usher him into the afterlife kind of a ritual with breadcrumbs and stuff and so he's doing that and Dr. Gall's like oh my gosh this is ridiculous he's going to ruin everything so she asks Coriolanus as his friend as Sejanus's friend to go in and get him out before anybody notices oh that's right she calls him that's right I forgot Mm -hmm. they see it on the screen and he's at home Mm -hmm. and actually he's with Sejanus's mom comes in and is like I don't know where Sejanus is have you seen him heard from him I know he was really angry angry and this isn't like him to just go somewhere and not tell me and then they see him on the screen and they're like oh my gosh and so then Dr. Gall calls and is like have you seen what's going on right now he says yes and they end up he she sends him in like I said to get Sejanus out and this is probably one of the most climactic biggest moments I think in this book yeah I'd agree in a lot of ways because Coriolanus is being put in the games at like this literally point. literally yeah. <laughs> like he could die there are tributes in there who could kill him yeah. um, and they try to make him sound more safe than he actually is they're like oh yeah up to this point we can cover you and like we'll be ready but like it's pretty manipulative like yeah. they're just kind of sending him in there on his own and have no plan of helping him mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> they're like up to this point we can watch you which is like up to before he's actually in danger right. <laughs> that they're watching over him so they like lead him up 
the peacekeepers let him in. He goes to Sejanus, who's just kneeling over Marcus's body, and is like, you need to get out of here before you get me and you in trouble. Sejanus um, is pretty much just waiting to die. Like, yes. he's trying to become a martyr. Yeah. <laughs> he's trying to make a point with his death, and Coriolanus is like, you're dumb. Come on. <laughs> get out no, of here. No, I'm gonna die because of you. Yes, we don't need to do this. And so finally, he does convince Sejanus. He basically is like, look, you can do so much more good if you stay alive. Like, getting killed isn't actually gonna do anything. It's just going to make things harder on other people, basically. And Sejanus gives into this and does leave with him, but as they're going out, they end up having Bobbin, I think is his name, Mm -hmm. come out, who is one of the tributes, and he's coming out just wailing, wanting to kill him, and so he's chasing them, and then at one point, I think Sejanus trips or something, I think one of, or he has an injury to his leg or something, that causes them to slow down so Bobbin can catch up, and Coriolanus ends up taking a club and just beating him to death with it, to the point where it's like beyond just trying to get them out safely, it's like he actively is going really hard on killing, like really beating him. And he's actually really shocked, obviously, about this behavior from him. But they get out. Sejanus goes home with his mom. And then Coriolanus goes to Dr. Gall, who ends up doing a little bit of medical care on him. He ended up getting a little bit of an axe in the back from Bobbin. And so she ends up trying to stitch that together and just talks to him about... The idea behind humanity and what happens when we're put in these situations where we want to survive and that's all we need and so we're willing to do things we never would have thought we would be capable of doing which is a huge turning point in his thought process as well it doesn't necessarily completely turn it immediately but it sticks in his head a lot this whole experience throughout the book it is really interesting because he's like horrified by dr gall like he's horrified that she put him in there. He's horrified about her views and her hopelessness, but it does stick with him. And I don't think that he gets to the same point that she's at, but he kind of ends up agreeing with her, even though he's so horrified by her. Yes. It's a really interesting mm-hmm shift that we see from him. It is. It's almost like he's afraid of it, but he also just like part of why he's afraid of it is because he believes it because he believes yeah. it's true. He's like, Oh, yeah, this is the way it is, and I hate that. Yeah. And I'm afraid of that. He wishes that it wasn't, Mm -hmm. but But that's what he thinks it is. But it's what his experience keeps proving to Mm -hmm. him. Yeah. Which is so funny, just connecting back to our expecting miracles, because we've talked about so many things going on in his life that are so positive and like lead him to a state of mind where he could accept that maybe there's a lot of goodness in this world and a lot of humanity, even in the districts, and there's a lot of good people and good moments. Um, But he chooses to focus on those negative experiences instead, instead of realizing that it's all about people's choices. Even watching the games, like he, there's these good moments which we'll get to in within the games, these people doing good things for each other within the games. But all he can think about is the killing instead of recognizing like Reaper, who is really amazing in this story. And we'll talk about him next actually in detail, but 
there's people who are doing, yeah, kind things. Yeah, it's interesting because with Reaper, they all think that he's crazy. Like, they yeah. all just kind of consider him whacked in the head, right? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. For the way that he acts because he's not killing anybody. Yeah. And he's, like, acting really kind and respectful towards everybody. And everybody's like, he's crazy. He's insane. Like, not recognizing yeah. that they're the ones who are being violent outside of their survival mode and he's the one in survival mode but still choosing to be Mm -hmm. a good respectful person yeah like he's making choices that they probably ideally would want to see from themselves right but because he's district and because it's the hunger games they're like what is wrong with you it's just it's wow i hadn't thought about it like that sad it is sad Mm -hmm. but yeah the fact that he's even able to get sejanus out because it really is dramatic where they're like tripping and the guards like barely open the gate and they like barely make it through and (laughs) and all of this stuff like i did want to point that out as its own miracle like they go into the games and have tributes chasing them trying to kill them and they manage to like (laughs) Coriolanus murders someone and it's almost like god gives him another chance to come out of that and try to maybe redirect it like he could see that as being like oh maybe i'm not the person i want to be if i'm willing to do that so instinctively maybe i could change that's one way he could have gone And you can say, instead of humanity is bad and needs to be controlled, you could say, the Hunger Games are bad and we should get rid of them. Yes, the Hunger Games are bad. (laughs) And yeah, and some personal self-reflection of like, am I who I want to be? Right. Like, instead of, yeah, all humanity is evil. Humanity is evil and we need the Hunger Games to remind us of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just this weird, twisted perspective. He's given another chance to go different directions and he takes, yeah, yeah. He takes the wrong path. So yeah, let's discuss Reaper a little bit. I It's kind of hard to discuss specific plot points, but generally, okay, I guess there was like a scene where he starts doing what he does and then he just continues to do it. Yeah. So he goes out after this event and there's basically in this part of time of the games, they just leave the bodies there. There's mm-hmm. no getting them the out retrieval. like there is in the later Again, in the Hunger past, games. they haven't lasted yeah. more than a day. Exactly. <laughs> So they haven't really needed to worry about that and think about that. And so these bodies are just lying there. And Reaper, who is the tribute... I don't remember his district either, sorry. But he goes out and he actually moves the bodies all in a line and just respectfully places them all the ones he can find and puts them together and then covers them he tears off the capital flag which everybody's really shook by and he ends up laying it across each of the bodies and just treating them so super respectively respectfully the one thing that makes him seem a little extra crazy is he wears one as a cape <laughs> one of the pieces of the flag which i don't know if it's meant to be a middle finger to the capital a little bit on that one or if it's just if he is maybe dehydrated and hungry and <laughs> i think he's prepping kind of, for his own death oh fair that's enough. kind of okay. the way i read it yeah, is he's I like ready that. to be covered himself make him be covered as well because okay. i don't it's interesting because lucy gray tells us that before the game started he went around to everybody apologizing that he was gonna have to kill them all oh. and she was like he's kind of like 
being a freak. <laughs> you <laughs> like, know? What the heck is wrong with you? Yeah. And then he runs to the pile and like acts like he's going to like start trying to fight everybody. But then they show this differently in the movie as well. In the book, everybody kind of scatters. Yeah. Like they've kind of gotten all of the really predator tributes have mm-hmm. already been killed. Yes. <laughs> free games. Mm-hmm. And so there's a comment that they're left with a lot of prey. But Reaper is running around like he's ready to kill people, but everybody's gone. And so he doesn't. He doesn't even kill anybody. Yeah. He just respectfully covers their bodies and wears the flag again, which I kind of read like he's he's not really planning on it. He's just kind of getting ready to die himself somehow. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so, yeah. I like that interpretation. So yeah, he's amazing. And it's a miracle that he's able to, even if maybe the cape has a little bit of insanity behind it, like that he's able to keep enough I think he's of, a little bit. Yes, not he's there. a little. I mean, again, dehydration, starvation, yeah. like I'm sure he's yeah, not doing Yeah, that's great. another thing. He hasn't yeah. been eating and drinking anything. Nope. Like mm-hmm. he's been dehydrating yeah. and starving Because isn't he, isn't he, he's Clemmy's tribute and she's been out because of the stink bike bite and then even when she comes back she's just like you're so weird i'm not giving you any food or water so she's not giving him anything because she's either not been there or she's kind of weird yeah and it seems to come from some sort of trauma i mean trauma obviously from the snake bite itself the experience but it almost seems like the venom caused some sort of trauma in her it feels like something's different in her head and i think they said she she had like scales on her neurological damage doesn't i think dr gall mentions if she survives there might be neurological damage so i bet so we could call it a miracle that she survives, or we could say that maybe it would have been better for yeah. her to. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a to- toss-up on that one for sure. But the fact that he is the way he is in this situation is a miracle for sure. Yeah, he's a, he really is amazing. Unsung hero right there. Reaper. Absolutely. I was telling Tori if we could have a chapter from Reaper's perspective in the middle of this book, it wouldn't make any sense, but I'd really enjoy it. Yes. You know what Suzanne Collins should do? Write a short story collection where she can just do something like Different that. Trends. She could do because I feel like people want, you know, Hamish's story, and I'm like, I don't really feel like you, you could do Hamish. Yeah, it would Hamish. be just like the first Hunger Games, but like not with all the plot twists because right. it's like they just it's a Hunger Games. Yeah. yeah, but I'm like, if you did something like a short story short from his story, perspective, like glimpses, that would be great. From- <gasps> And then you do some other short stories of other things. That would be the most depressing short story collection ever. But it would be so good. I would read it. (laughs) Yeah. It could be so good. You could just read it and cry and feel sad. And then you would get all the things you want to get. All these little stories that you're like, I don't need a whole book on this, but I'd like a little something. something. Okay, Suzanne Collins. Suzanne Collins, if by some miracle you (laughs) hear this. You're watching this. Or if anybody has Suzanne Collins' ear. Mention short story collection. It. That would be oh, amazing, be so actually. Cool. Wow. I may never be satisfied now until that happens. <laughs> You're like, I need it. Oh gosh. Anyway, back into the anyway. plot. We'll continue forward. The next and probably the last of the really big events in the games is when Dr. Gall does send in the snakes. So so like I said, a few more things happen and Coriolanus ends up going into Dr. Gall because he ended up getting stitches, like we said, about after going into the games and having the axe attack. And 
and Dr. Gall told him to come back for a follow-up appointment. So that's why he's going to meet with her. And on the way out, she's like, oh, you'll be fine, basically. And just so you know, Gaius, the one who, the mentor who was severely injured during the bombing, did end up passing away. And so Dr. Gall's like, I'm going to make the districts pay for this, basically. And so she sends him away, but she's like, I want you to know so that you know what to say, can come up with something good to say to the host about what happened and what your thoughts are and stuff. And so he has this heads up, he's leaving, and he notices that they're preparing the snake tank to go somewhere. And so he's starting to put some pieces together about her saying she was going to have the district's pay and that they're going to have the snake tank in there. Oh yeah, and she said, I got a page from your tributes book, actually, basically, in order to do this was the idea, it helped, she helped me come up with the idea, so we'll have to compare notes if she ends up living. And he's like, oh, like when she dropped the snake down Mayfair's back was possibly that. And then the rainbow snakes themselves he originally said they reminded him of something and he couldn't figure out what and he realizes it was lucy gray's skirt that it reminded him of and so all these things kind of coming together for him to be like i think they're going to put it inside the arena and he asks the people who are taking it and says where what are you doing with that and they just said oh we're just moving it to another exam room or something but they kind of give each other a look and so he's like oh no they're definitely putting that in those in their arena and so he ends up taking this handkerchief that he had used to wipe Lucy Gray's tears earlier before the games began and sticks them in with the snake so they will get used to her scent and not attack her in the arena. So it's definitely a big cheat, (laughs) which is very obviously it gets the rules, hence the word cheat. (laughs) So this is going to cause problems later, but for now they do put these snakes in the arena and they end up chasing some people around. I think they for sure kill one person that we can both remember i don't think they kill anymore i'm pretty sure it's I'm just pretty one. sure not i was like what the heck we yeah we were kind of surprised that it was one only one of them <laughs> if you've just seen the movie it kills everybody who's left yeah. basically which honestly which makes honestly, more sense i can't actually remember how yeah. anybody else dies after the snakes in the book so i don't blame the movie for just yeah. i'm like that is a movie everyone. change <laughs> that i'm like you know it was okay. it fine. was probably okay yeah and okay. especially since we were like why did they just kill one person? God, All this dramatic yeah, like this whole thing, and then it just kills For one it person. To just kill one person. So yeah. but I, serious yeah. lineup of miracles, though. Again, yes, going back uh-huh. to like everything being set up beforehand, like the fact that he knew about the snakes. What, like he shouldn't have known about what the snakes are in the first place, right? Yeah. But he does. It just happens because of the paper. Because yeah. of the paper, yeah. Not even because Dr. Gall has a special interest in him because Dr. Gall knew that they were lying about the paper and wanted to test them about the paper. Yes. <laughs> and like, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, just the whole the whole thing. So the fact that he knows about the snakes, the fact that he happens to be there for his stitches. So thanks to Janus for going into the arena <laughs> and him having to pull you out and getting stitches. So he happens to see the snakes being moved. He's smart enough to put it together. And he happens to have this handkerchief that has Lucy Gray scent on it. And yep. that he's able, that he gets the opportunity, like the assistants get distracted and he has the opportunity to even put it in the snake tank. Like yeah. just so many all of these things coming together. Yes. And later Helping. he claims that he saved Lucy Gray's life. And he ta- he it becomes a big thing afterwards that like he got her out and he did this and she owes him. And after everything he's done for her. And I'm like, boy, come on now. Yes. You <laughs> did very little miracles. in the grand scheme. Yes. 
And then we have this nice, and he has a nice way to get out of it for to avoid being seen as a cheater, even though he ends up be, getting caught anyway. Right. He has this thing where Lucy Gray ends up singing to the snakes. Yes. And calming she them down. And they're it. able yeah. to be like, oh yeah, it must be the singing. Like it's calming them down. Because that's what she said she had done to the snakes. She had dropped down Mayfair's dress. Was she like sang to it and it calmed it down and got it to trust her. Trust her. And so she was able to use it and play with it and stuff and so we're able to see that he she kind of gives him this like excuse to work with and they just are so perfect together (laughs) yes without even being together they just are able to make it work yeah she doesn't even know she's like I didn't do that because snakes can't actually hear that well. So what's up? Yes. She's like, <laughs> like she just that made it. no sense. Yeah. But she just did it and it worked out and she ends up winning. So in the film, like we said, it kills the snakes kill everybody that's left besides Lucy Gray, mm-hmm. which honestly makes a lot of sense. But in the book, they have a few other killings afterwards. I think there's like one that's a betrayal and yeah. then Lucy Gray. Oh, I guess technically the snakes killed two people because Lucy Gray uses one yes. of the snakes to kill someone yeah, somebody's else. Yeah, trying to kill Lucy and Lucy, Lucy Gray, sorry, Lucy Gray uses a snake in self-defense. Yes, and I, then I think she poisoning. kills Reaper. Yeah, Reaper dies of poisoning because she pours the poison in the that's little pool right. that's there and he drinks it he and dies and, and he's the last one before Lucy yeah. Gray wins. We'll just jump over the details on that partially because we don't she remember won. obviously and second of all because it doesn't really matter. Doesn't Basically matter. Lucy Gray wins. Who would Everybody have else dies. The girl from Everybody's District 12. Shocked. Yes. We're shocked, we're excited. It's a miracle. Yep, between <sighs> her and Coriolanus, they had the brains to make that work yeah. and the right circumstances. Yes. Blessed by God. They are um, smart. They, I mean, and they are both action-oriented and ambitious. Yes. And uh-huh. They both definitely have a lot of gifts that they use, which is yep. a big thing and part of agency. But the fact that they have those gifts in the first place, the fact that any 100%. of us have our gifts in the first place is because of God. So there you are. There you are. We, God knows how to work with terrible situations yep. to try to allow each of us the opportunities we deserve and need to have both in this life and I would argue in the spirit world too which yeah. we can argue and I'm sure another discussion but I did want to mention that yes, because that sure. does play a role in a lot of other people's experiences this episode has been divided into two parts you have reached the end of part one part two will be released the following Thursday we hope you enjoyed the first half of our discussion. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at God and All Things Podcast. Additionally, if you are interested in seeing what Tori is currently reading, head over to her YouTube channel, Good Strong Words. Thank you again for listening. We hope you are having a wonderful day. Keep remembering to see God in all things, and we will see you next time. Bye!